0: Well, listen, uh, we have been, for now, a month, we've been in the book of Judges. We are in a series called The Happiness Myth, where we've just been going through the book of Judges and, and seeing what happens. We've been learning what happens to a group of people when they decide to live according to the happiness myth. And the happiness myth is just this belief that all of us have bought into at some point that we've been passing down from generation to generation to generation ever since Eve ate that apple we have been passing down this myth that my way is the best way to be happy. That's the happiness myth, that my way is the best way to be happy. What I want, the things that I think will make me happy, if I will do those things, if I can get as much of what I want in life, then I will be the happiest. But we've said each week, we know that's not true, because if that was true, we'd be happy. Uh, But we're not. We're not. And we we have some short-term happiness, some short-term happiness, but but really, we've said each week through this series that God's ways, not my ways, but God's ways are the best ways to be happy. Or we really have really said it this way, that God's ways are the best ways for the best life. That God's ways are the best ways for the best life. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it feels like God's ways are restrictive, even when it feels like God's ways are like handcuffs, even when it feels like everything that would be good for you is on the other side of the fence, but the fence is God's word and God's uh, you know, truths and God's ways. And you're saying, I just don't understand how God's ways could be better than what's on the other side of the fence. We have said each week that if you'll trust God, submit to him, trust him, live according to his ways, that life will be better, and you will have the best life. We believe that with all of our hearts. And so each week, we've just been going through story after story in the book of Judges and learning what happens to a group of people who refuse to embrace God's ways. Not all of them are evil people. Not all of them have turned from God completely. They're they're trying to serve God with one part of them, but they just can't fully believe that God's ways are the best ways. Can't fully embrace that. And all through the book of Judges, we'll read it again today in Judges chapter 17, but all through the book of Judges, we see the verse that says, in those days there was no king, and all the people did what seemed right in their own eyes. So in other words, you've got a group of people for about 400 years. The book of Judges spans over 400 years. For about 400 years, you've got a group of people who are living and making their decisions solely based on what seems right to them. Well, it just seemed right to me, felt right to me. You know, as I've thought about it, this just seems like the right thing to do, the right decision to make. And so 400 years, generation after generation, that's the way that they live their life. And and story after story and chapter after chapter after chapter, it gets worse worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Because God's ways lead us to the best life, but our ways will constantly, consistently keep moving us away from God, keep moving us towards misery, keep moving us towards pain and hurt. I heard a preacher say it this week, this way, he said, talking about the prodigal son, he said, at some point in all of our lives, if we get what we want, it'll end up leading us to a pig pen. At some point, two years, 20 years, you know, two months, at some point, if we get what we want, ultimately, we're going to end up sitting in a pig pen somewhere. Because that's the way that it works. And if you haven't been convinced by now, then we got two more weeks to convince you. Because we're going to be looking today at at Judges chapter 17 and 18. And then next week we're going to be looking at 19, 20, 21. And it's just crazy. It's just bizarre stories um, that we're going to find here at the end of, uh, of Judges. So today I want to talk about making God decisions making God decisions. And the reason that I'm tiling at that, I guess, is because I don't want us to just make good decisions in life. Everybody wants to make good decisions. want to be a good decision maker. But I don't want to just make good decisions with my life. I want to make God decisions. Because how many people know there's a difference between good ideas and God ideas? There's a difference between good relationships and God relationships. There's a difference between good decisions and, and God decisions. And uh, sometimes God decisions in my life are not the decisions that I think are good. It's not what necessarily I would do, but, but they're God decisions. So today I want to talk about making, uh, making God decisions. And how many people in here would say, uh, Jason, I've made some really dumb decisions in my life. Come on, let me see your hand. I've made some dumb decisions. You know, how many people need more than two hands? Come on, I've made a lot of dumb decisions. I, 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 need, I mean, i made some dumb I was just thinking... I mean, I still make dumb decisions, I really do, but I made some even dumber, is that, can I use that? I made some even uh, more dumb decisions um, early on in life, you know, I'm 32, but I feel like it was a long time ago, and um, one night, Andrew and I were, I think we were engaged, and uh, I'm, the story I'm about to tell you is true, but I'm going to ask you not to ever tell a police officer what I'm about to tell you, so um, so Andrew and I were engaged, and uh, we were over at our friend's house. We stayed over there way too late, and so we're driving home, and we get in the car. We pull out of the neighborhood, and Andrea says to me, I don't feel good. Like, I really don't feel good. I need you to get me to a bathroom really quickly. I knew there was a gas station up at the next street, and so I just kind of hit the gas. I told you last week I used to drive way too fast. So I hit the gas. And I'm speeding, you know, trying to get her up there to the gas station. Well, as I'm driving this way, a police officer's driving this way. I did not realize at the time that they can track your speed coming at you. And so I, I go past them going pretty fast, and I see him turn on his lights as he's going around the curve back here. In that moment of just two or three seconds to decide what to do in this spot. The thought that crossed my mind was, Jason, it's gonna take him a few seconds to get back around that curve. If you'll take a left right here and go down here, you can get away from him. You can get away from the cop because I told you last week I already had a couple tickets to my record already, all right? And so I turn left, and not even concerned about my fiance anymore. I turn left, I go down in this hill and like down this path. And I think like I got away from the cop and all of a sudden over the hill, I see the cop lights coming to get me. And so he comes up to my window and we go through the whole spiel, you know, and he says, uh, where are you headed tonight? And I said, well, officer, uh, my fiance, uh, feels sick. And I was trying to get her up there to the Chevron. And he says, well, if you're trying to get to the Chevron, why'd you take a left right here for? And, uh, my dad always said, my dad always taught me, Jason, once you're caught, stop lying. Just tell the truth. And so I, I said, officer, I got to be honest with you. I turned left because I was trying to get away from you. I thought maybe if I turned left, you wouldn't see me and I wouldn't get a ticket. And the cop just started laughing. He's like, well, appreciate you telling me the truth. And uh, he's, I'll be back. So he goes, he goes and runs my license and then he comes back and he, somehow I got out of this ticket. I have no idea. I was speeding and I tried to get away from an officer. He says, I'm going to let you go just because you were honest with me. Uh, but he said, you know, I have the authority to run you off the road if I feel like you're resisting arrest in your car. I said, well, I did not know that. And so he, I got away that night, but I thought back and I thought, okay, 18, 19 years old, how dumb was I to try to run from a cop? How many people know we make dumb decisions sometimes? I was thinking about after Andrew and I got married. Andrew and I have been married 11 years. I don't know how she did not kill me or leave me because I did so many dumb things. When we had been married, um, like, like two years, year and a half, two years, we were living in Louisiana, and I had this Jeep that I had bought as my second car, and it was a lemon, and uh, the air wasn't running, and it was Louisiana, and it was hot, and it was just, it was not a great situation, um, but it was paid for, and uh, I thought, well, you know what? I need to go get a new car, so I woke up. We talked about it, and I woke up on a, a Saturday morning, and I drove out to this car lot, and looked at some cars, and they had this this 2004 Ford Focus, and it was, I think it was 2006 at the time. It was a pretty new car, cost ten thousand five hundred dollars. I said, "That's the car that I want." And so we go inside, and you know, I have no money to put down. Who has money to put down? And so I have no money to put down. And uh, and he goes and runs my credit, and he comes back in, and he says, "Well, I got good news and I got bad news." He said, "The bad news is credit is 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 very bad. It's very bad." And uh, and he said, uh, but we can get you the loan. He said, but the problem is the loan is going to be at eighteen percent interest for sixty months. And I'm like, so I can get the car today. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, you just got to sign some of these papers. I was like, let's go. All right. And so that was the day. Andrew and I decided. Well, it was a couple months later when we started making payments. That was the day we decided to never take out a car loan ever again. And we pay cash for cars. What, how, if they run, you know, we'll buy it. And, uh, and so over the next six, uh, five years, we paid $20,000 for a $10,500 car. And uh, we paid the dummy tax. We paid the stupid tax. But we learned our lesson. How many people, you've made some dumb decisions in life. Come on. And we could tell our stories, couldn't we? We could, we could tell our stories. I could pass the mic around. And so... I don't know why it seems like that, that good decision-making is so hard and bad decision-making is so easy, um, but I want to kind of talk about that today. Good decision-making, God decision-making. Proverbs 14, uh, 12 says, There's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end leads to death. There's a path before each person that seems right, what seemed right at the time was to run from the officer. What seemed right at the time was to finance the car for eighteen percent over 50, sixty months. Five years sounds not as bad, you know. And say five years, sixty or sixty months is like, ah, oh, it's no big deal, right? What seemed right, but in the end, leads to death. And this is not talking about financial decisions. This is talking about spiritual life decisions. That that it's really easy for us to live life and to and to think that things seem right. But in the end, we're headed in the wrong direction the whole time. You know, it's never bad until it's bad. Like you make all these decisions and you think, well, I'm not doing that bad until like everything goes wrong. And then you look back and you're like, well, how did I make all those terrible decisions? They didn't seem terrible at, at the time. Well, here, here's what I know to be absolutely true is that God wants to help us. The Holy Spirit wants to help us make good decisions. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit wants to help us make good God decisions. Here's why it's so difficult. You know, we have been talking for a couple of weeks about, You know, my way versus God's way. Life is not clean cut. Life's not clean cut. And how do I know, how do I know if what I want is wrong? Have you ever thought about that? Like, so yes, there are some things in life where I know that my way is the wrong way. Like there are just sometimes if I say, hey, you know, hey, babe, we don't really have any money. I'm going to go rob a bank. You know, like, okay, well, that's a bad, that's a wrong way. Like we know that's, that's a obviously dumb example, but like you get it, you know. But like, what about all the other areas in life that are right around the middle? Like, it's my way, but I think it may be God's way too, or, and I'm not sure, and I just don't know if my way's the right way. And now Proverbs is telling me that I can think it's the right way, but be going the wrong way the whole time and end up in death. And I didn't even realize it wasn't the right, it wasn't the right way. We're going to look in Judges 17. If you've got a Bible, flip over there. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Judges 17, we're going to read a story, a really bizarre story, really strange story. Next week is even more strange, but this is the first strange one. And uh, we're going to use this story as an example for people like us who are wanting to try to follow God, but we find ourselves making really weird, bizarre, wrong, sometimes sinful uh, decisions. How many people know that it's a lot easier to make a dumb decision than a smart one? You know what I'm talking about? It's a lot easier to do that. And, and we're going to see today that, that we can make decisions that seem right, but are so wrong for our lives. And then at the end, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to give you a couple ways that I think we can make God decisions uh, in our lives. So uh, Judges 17. Now, Judges, the book of Judges could have ended in Judges 16. The author could have stopped it because the story of Samson ends at the end of Judges 16. He was the last judge in the book of Judges. But for whatever reason, the author decided that he wanted, after the judges were over, he wanted to show us two stories to just kind of exemplify what life was like for these people who had refused to live according to God's way. So the book could have ended at 16, but he gives us two stories and says, okay, you saw how these people were determined to live according to the happiness myth. Let me give you two stories just to prove it to you. And so that's what we find. We're going to read all of uh, chapter 17. There's 13 verses, okay? It says this. It says, there was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. And one day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. In honor of my son, I'll have an image carved and an idol cast. Like, okay, I guess. And so when he returned the money, verse 4, to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol And these were placed in Micah's house, and Micah set up a shrine for the idol, and he made a a sacred ephod uh, and some household idols. Okay, so let's just stop right there for a second. That's already strange. Okay, we have talked about idol worship in this series other weeks. I'm not going to take time to talk about it again. It's already strange what he's doing, right? That he's taking these coins and he's making these, these figurines And he's worshiping them, okay? But then look at what he does in the next verse. Then Micah installed one of his sons as his personal priest. So he's like, he stole 1,100 silver coins. He turns them in because he doesn't want his mom to curse him to death. Then they build an idol out of silver and a chest plate. And then he says to one of his sons, you're now going to be my priest. You're now going to be my pastor, son. We're going to worship these idols and you're going to be my priest, my pastor. And you read that and you go, what? And that's why we read verse six. In those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You look at that and go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever read. And the author wants you to know like, yeah, that's just how they were living back then. Because it seemed like a good idea at the time. Verse 7, one day a young Levite, who had been living in Bethlehem in Judah, arrived in that area, and he had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live, and as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, and he happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked him. He replied, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am looking for a place to live. So Micah, who just met this guy in verse 10, says, stay here with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and a priest to me. Like, Micah, bro, you just met this man, okay? He says, hey, why don't you stay with me? Like, you could just be a father figure in my life. You you could be a priest to me. And not only that, but I'm going to give you 10 pieces of silver for a year. I'm going to give you a change of clothes and your food. And the Levite, who just showed up, is like, okay, seemed like a good idea to me. He agreed to it, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons, even though he was like a father and a priest or whatever. Verse 12, so Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. Look at verse 13. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest. Now, we're not going to read chapter 18 today. If you want to go and read it, it's more about Micah and some stuff that happens with his idols and his silver coins and the priest and all that stuff. But I want you just for a second to like I know this sounds like a bizarre, strange story because it is exactly, that's exactly what it is. But I want you just for a second to kind of comprehend what's happened. A man named Micah who steals coins from his mom, turns them in, she takes 200 of them. They take these coins, they shape them into little like donkeys and monkeys and, and they set them up in their house. And now instead of going to the temple to worship God, they go into the bedroom and they make sacrifices and worship little silver donkeys and monkeys and they say, well, we want this to feel official. So we're going to take little Johnny over here and we're going to make him the priest. And poor Johnny was the priest for a while until the Levite showed up. And then when the Levite showed up, the first that time he ever met the guy, he says, hey, listen, why don't you stay with me? I'll pay you. I'll hire you. You be my priest and you be like a father to me. And the Levite says like, oh, that seems like a good idea to me. And Micah's saying, well, it seems like a good idea to me too. And so they go and now they have this little thing set up. Now they're they're directly disobeying God because if you go back when God was speaking through Moses to the people, he said that my tabernacle will be where you should worship. Don't build any worship places of your own. He said that. He said that only Levites should be priests. So when he made his son a priest, like biblically, like I could lay out the argument that he's disobeying, but that's not even important. What's important today is I want, like when you read this and, and you get to the end and you're like, Re- like, really? Like he thought that was a good idea. Like, This is what they're doing. I want that to kind of resonate with us. I want us to feel what that feels like for just a little bit. Because I believe that a lot of us make a lot of dumb decisions in our lives, and the people around us who are watching our story unfold are going, Really? Really? Like, that's what you want to do? You think that's a good idea? Because from the outside looking in, we can always see a little bit clearer what people are doing and the decisions that they're making. And really what we find throughout the whole book of Judges, but we see it again in chapter 17, is these people have no standard. They have no authority. They have no foundational. Like, so it's not, hey, whatever the Bible says, that's what we're going to do. It's not, hey, whatever the government says, that's what we're going to do. Like There is no standard or foundation. The only standard that they use to make their decisions is, you feel good about it? Does it seem right to you? Will it make you happy? If the answer is yes, then, then make silver donkeys and monkeys and make your son your priest and find a stranger to be your daddy. I mean, like, if that's what you want to do, then, and people are like, it's like on Family Feud when somebody gives the dumbest answer and all their family members are like, good answer, good answer. You're like, no, it's not. It's a terrible answer. It's a dumb answer. Stop clapping. It's not a good answer. And, but the people here in Judges are like, hey, good, good idea, Micah. That is a great idea. I'm sure there were some of his friends like, I want some silver donkeys and monkeys. I want a priest. Like, I, because that's how dumb things were at the time. That's how crazy things were at the time. Because people were making decisions based on whatever felt right. Hey, if you're happy, I'm happy for you. If it feels good to you, it feels good to me. I just want you to be happy. As long as you're not hurting anybody, I just want you to be happy. And when you do that for a generation into another generation and to another generation into another generation, you end up 400 years later doing really dumb things. Yeah. And life is crazy. We have to have an authority in our lives. We have to have a standard in our lives. You're here at a church and I'm a pastor, so I'm going to tell you that that standard has to be the Bible. It has to be God's word. It has to be God's ways. And so let me give you three things. Get out a, get out a pen, some paper, get your phone out. I, wanna, I want you to take some notes because we all need to be better decision makers. We all need to make God decisions, not just good decisions, but we definitely need to stop making dumb decisions. So I want to give you three things today that I think will help us make the right godly decisions in life the right godly decision. I'm not talking about the no-brainers. We'll t- actually talk about that in a second. I'm talking about those gray areas, those middle areas, those areas in life where you're just not sure what you should do. But you want to you want to do the right thing, you want to do the god thing, you want to like you want to make the god decision. You want to make the right decision. you want to be in the will of God but you find yourself in that middle place and you're just not sure, how can we make the right decision? How can we not go down the wrong path that seemed right at the time? Let me give you three things that I think will, will help all of us do this, all right? Number one is this. Number one is this, making God decisions. Here's the first standard, the first filter we're going to use, first question, what does the Bible say about my decision? We're keeping it super simple today, all right? We're keeping the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get some, all right? What does the Bible say about my decision? Okay, so this, this this is the first question that kind of is going to eliminate all of the just absolutely crazy sinful stuff that we try to justify in our lives, okay? So I was talking to a friend a couple months ago who was in the middle of uh, leaving her family and and being in a relationship with somebody else, I mean, she is flat out right in the middle of sin, not, not judging, just assessing where we are, because all of us struggle, all of us fall, but, but where she was at. And I said to her, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been praying? And she said, I know it sounds crazy, but I've never been closer to God than I am right now. I said, you're wrong. Like, I love you. But you are deceiving yourself because you cannot be as close to God as you've ever been while you are in a relationship with somebody that you're not married to. The Bible tells us that. That's not Jason's opinion. That's just what the Bible tells us. So there are areas in life where the Bible makes it clear and we don't get a say. Like we don't get to say, well, but I feel good about it. It doesn't matter because the Bible is clear. Now, there are sometimes the Bible's not clear. But the beauty about the Bible is that we can find clear answers. And so somewhere along the way, the message has been kind of passed down or broadcast like the Bible really doesn't practically help us in our daily lives. That's absurd. The Bible is filled with really clear advice and examples for the things that we face I just made a, a list of a couple examples. Relationships we should be in or not be in. Dealing with conflict. Working with difficult people. Parenting. Homosexuality. Money. Finding peace and joy. It gets, it's, as, it's as detailed as if whether or not you should co-sign for a loan for one of your friends. The Bible talks about it. And so if you've bought into this idea that, if you've bought into this idea that like, well, the Bible can't help me like day to day, help me make the right decisions. You're not reading the Bible Because it helps us decision after decision, decision after decision, it helps us. So let me ask you a question. We're still on number one here, but how often do you change your opinion, actions, or beliefs based on God's word? How often, if you look back on your life, like how, how many times have you changed your beliefs, your opinions, or your actions based on God's word? Because I think the challenge for us is a lot of times we don't even have to read, even though I think we should read the Bible. A lot of times we don't even have to read. Like, we kind of know what God's opinion is about something. But we know how strongly we feel about it, and we just don't want to give in, or the Bible word would be submit to the truth of God's word, because it doesn't seem fair or right or doesn't make us happy. And so we we don't fully embrace what we know God's word. You know, I meet with people sometimes, and they'll kind of tell me what they're going through, and I'll say... Okay, well here's what the Bible says. And after I get done talking, they're like, Yeah, I knew that. I knew that's what it said. We know, right? But but because our intentions are good, we kind of feel like it doesn't matter if we fully commit to God's ways. Because my intentions were good. My, my intentions were good. I wanted to, to do it right, but I just couldn't fully commit. So like if, if you look at your life right now, me, we're all looking at our life, we all struggle, we all have our areas that we fall, we all struggle to make good decisions. If I look at the areas of life where I know that I'm living in contradiction to God's plans and God's ways, am I brave enough to jump into the Bible and to see that I'm wrong and God's right and to make whatever changes necessary in order to line my life up with the Bible? Because that takes courage. It takes bravery because you're going to have to rearrange your life and not judge yourself based on intentions, but judge yourself based on God's word The challenge for us is a lot of times we want God to make our life more convenient. We want spirituality to make our lives more convenient. But there are some clear standards. Some clear ways to live in the Bible that God wants us to take. Now, let's please hear me. It's a work in progress. Come on. It's a work in progress. I really committed my life to God when I was about 16 years old. I've been following him for about 16 years, and I've still got areas of my life where I resist obeying him. Because I'm not fully convinced he's better. And, and and it's an ongoing war in my soul between my sin and my spirit, right? So it's a work in progress. I don't mean that you should just figure it out today and be perfect. I just mean, are you courageous enough to go, Jason? Here's what I want with my life. And here's what I want to do, but I don't want to do it if the Bible says don't do it. No matter how bad I want it, if the Bible says don't, I'm not going to do it. That's hard. That's hard and it takes courage. But God's ways are the best ways to the best life. And my ways will eventually lead me to a pig pen. I'll have some fun on the way to the pig pen, but God's ways are the best ways to the best life. So, number one, what does the Bible say about my decision? And you don't have to talk to your pastor, even though I'm more, I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, you can just Google, you know, like, hey, I'm thinking, and like, you'll find a Bible verse. You, you can talk to a pastor about it, but like, the Bible's clear. And let's, let's don't try to maneuver ourselves around areas where the Bible is clear. So number one, what does the Bible say about my decision? Second filter, second way we can make God decisions is what do my committed friends think I should do? What do my committed Christian friends think that I should do? So first and foremost, before we ever go to our friends, before we ever do anything else, we're going to check God's word. We're going to process it through the Bible because we want to we live according to God's ways. But number two, we're going to ask our committed Christian friends what they think we should do. Now, one of my pet peeves, I mean, I know I do it, too, and you probably feel this way, too, but, like, I can't stand when people ask my opinion with no intention to do what my opinion is. Like, you might know what I'm talking about. Like, why did you ask me? Just do what you want to do. Like, you don't have to ask me. And sometimes we, know, like, we know which friends to go to to get agreement. We know which friends to go to to get maybe some constructive criticism. Proverbs 15, says, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 says, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. I have a few people in my life, not many, I would say, t- well, two, maybe three, that I believe in them so much and their heart for God and believe in their investment in me so much that if they are definitive in their opinion, I won't go against it. I've, I've shared some stories with you before, but when I when I was, um, it was about 10 years ago now, I got offered what I thought was my dream job. Like, no kidding, my dream job. And I called my dad, because so, my dad's one of those people in my life. I was so excited, and I called, and the first words out of his mouth after I got done telling him what the job offer, he said, Jason, you know you can't do that, right? And he explained why, and I didn't want to listen, and I said I would sleep on it, but I knew as soon as he said I couldn't do it, I knew I couldn't do it because I trust him too much, and I trust his heart and his relationship with God too much. Now, I don't have friends that are controlling because most of the time my wise, committed Christian friends say, I don't know. I mean, if it was me, maybe I would do this, but I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, I trust you'll make the right decision. They'll give me their advice, but they don't say like, no. But there are a few times with a few people in my life that I trust so much that if they say, Jason, don't do that, I'm not doing it. And if they say, Jason, do it, I'm doing it because I believe God's put them in my life for that. As a general rule of thumb in my life, I don't ask unhappy people for advice. Like, if you've got unhappy friends, I wouldn't ask them their opinion. They're unhappy. They're miserable. And it makes sense. I don't ask bankrupt people for financial advice. I don't ask unhappily married people for marriage advice. You know what I mean? I mean, it makes sense. And so I want to go to people who have a committed relationship with God, people who are living their lives Wanting to live according to God's ways. Not perfect people, but people who are saying, I want to live my life for God. And I say, hey, listen, I'm at this place. I need to make a decision. I don't know what I should do. Here's all the facts. Here's even what I would like to do, but I don't know if it's right. What do you think I should do? And here's what I believe with all my heart, and I live it. If I go to the Bible, and I search for God's truth, and then I go to my friends who love God with all their heart, and I ask for their advice, The chances are really high that I'm going to make a good godly decision, a good godly decision. But I'm going to give you one more. If after all of that, you still don't have peace, let me give you one more thing I think you should do to make good godly decisions. Ask yourself this question. After I have spent time praying about it, what does my gut tell me? After I've spent time praying about it, what does my gut tell me? The prayer is the key part of what I just said. The prayer is the key part. And I don't mean prayer like, God, this is what I want. Help make this happen. I mean prayer like, God, I'm torn. I don't know. And, and I want to I, I please you. I want to live a life that honors you. And so God, help me with this. And then, And then what does your gut say? So you've already gone to God's word. You've already gone to committed Christian friends. And now you've prayed about it. And it's time to go with your gut. And here's what I believe to be true and everybody I've ever counseled or talked to and every example of my life. Here's what I believe to be true. I know when I'm getting ready to make the wrong decision after I've gone through this process. If I don't go through this process, I deceive myself a lot. But after I've gone through this process, if I still wanna go over the fence to find something I think I want, even though I know it's over the fence, I know the whole time I'm climbing, I'm making the wrong decision. Because the Holy Spirit is is checking me, knocking on my heart. More times than not, we all still make bad decisions, but more times than not, if I will go to God's word, I will go to godly Christian friends that are invested in me, and I'm invested in them, and I will spend time praying. This is so basic, right? I will spend time praying. I'm going to make good, godly decisions, and I'm not going to just live life on a whim based on the things that just seem right to me just seemed like a good idea at the time. Just, just seemed right to me. And if you want God's best for your life, and if you want to live according to God's ways, and if you're committed to this process, I personally, I can't prove this necessarily biblically, but I personally believe that God will not let you miss his will. He will not let you miss his best for your life because you're passionate about making sure that you stay on his path And you're making good, godly decisions, not decisions that'll make you happy. There are some things in your life that make you happy and makes God happy. Let's go after those with all of our heart. But in the other areas, we've got to lay down what we want, and we've got to go after God's ways because his ways are the best way for the best life. All right, let's pray.